With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Anybody there? Hello? Anybody here? Okay. I'm trying to hook up my computer instead of the phone. Uh -huh. Or am I still on? Your I well let's see. Um your your pictures um you're turned. I'm hearing you, but you have a still picture. Oh turned, you're turned the other way around. All right, I'm gonna try to log on the other one. Hey Tony. He's muted. Hi. Hello, Rosalind. Hi, that's Deb, but she's turned. She's working, <laughs> she's working on her computer to set it up instead of the phone. Okay. Hi, Tony. Hi, whoever was that, Deb? That was I, Deb. Yo. I can't see, but I can hear. <laughs> okay, I got to figure out how to do this. How There's a number. Uh, people who will not be with us tonight. Um, okay. uh, Jeremy said he wouldn't be here, and Dawn, and uh, oh gosh, somebody else. I forgot. <laughs> Christy? But we'll see who shows up. Okay. 
Okay, here we go. Um, okay. Still no image of dad. I'm working on it. I got a good image here though. Good, okay. strong, good strong connection tonight. I'm back in my office and not on my laptop in rural Utah. <laughs> How did your time in Utah turn out? Well, it was great. Um, I, I feel really good about my presentation, which is, you know, of course, the main reason why I went. I mean, at least the superficial reason why I went. So I felt I gave a really good presentation. Um, rural Utah is not a place I would ever visit. Um, so in just in terms of, you know, just going someplace for a little vacation, it was, you know, it was nice to get away, I guess, but. I remember you're saying uh, a few years ago, I think it was in New York, you said you hate, hate nature. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I always have to qualify that. I, it's not, I, know I, I just, um. Uh, you're not a lover of just looking at the outside. You know. I, I look at it. It's beautiful. I look at it again and five minutes of it is enough. It's just, I just, it's, I just, I much prefer people and, and, uh, you know, there's not a lot of people in rural Utah and, um, you know, things like, I mean, just, just little, these are just like personal predilections. So every night after the conference was over around nine thirty, ten o'clock, I go to what is being called a cocktail lounge, but it's like not really a cocktail lounge, but you obviously could buy a cocktail there. So I suppose it is the cocktail lounge, except that it's upstairs. It's just sort of like a converted room in the hotel. It's not really, it doesn't look like a lounge. It's very brightly lit. The bartender is there, but he's sitting at a table. He's watching cartoons on the TV. The, the cartoons are loud. Oh, my. So the ambiance of the, quote, cocktail lounge is that it's really just a converted hotel room with some alcohol, and there's a loud TV watching cartoons, and there's nobody there. Except no one's there? No one's there? Just me and the bartender. And uh, now the second night, I dragged John Mundy up there with me, and I bought John Monday a glass of wine and we chatted for a little bit, but nope, nobody else came in. On Saturday night, David Huff, oh, I see Christine Yaffe, David Huffmeister, um, and, uh, and I and a couple other people went up there, but, he, oh, and there were some other people there, yeah, that's right. Uh, it's just kind of, it's just, it's not urban, it's not sort of what I'm, what I would prefer, you know, it's just like, like it's all, let's see, but it was fine. I think the uh, conference um, went, you know, Jimmy um, Twyman did a good job of holding the energy of the conference and, and being in charge. I thought he did that really well. And that's, that's good. People can, can sort of relax in, in the idea that there's somebody in charge and the program is, is moving along. Uh, so I think that that's always really good. I've been to some conferences where, it, you know, that didn't seem to happen and it sort of seems like chaos. So that, that wasn't the experience, but Jimmy's energy is much different than mine. And, um, it was a lot of, uh, a lot of meditation. I'm not, I'm not, um, 
I like if I'm going to go on a meditation retreat, I probably want a smaller group of people. And I, you know, if I'm in a large conference, I, I mean, I want a little meditation and prayer, but I just like more activity and more energy. And just didn't quite have that, so it wasn't my style. But it was great. Other, other, everything doesn't have to be my style. And I was good. I mean, I, I thought my presentation was awesome. Good. I was very happy with it. I was very, very happy. What did you talk about? Oh, gosh, so many things. Um, but I think we were talking about, uh, you know, the resurrection, what that meant. Mm -hmm. The resurrection. Hello, Christine. How are you? I'm Okay. Well, you're so bright and clear and colorful today. I wonder why that is. See if I can turn the sound up a little bit here on my end. Yeah, I can. Uh, I still think Griff is supposed to be here and Yolanda should be here. And Charles should be here. Okay. I was happy to come home. I love San Francisco. There's Charles. Yay. I'm not much of a traveler. I mean, I, I don't have any trouble traveling. I just, um, I love where I live. If I want a little culture, I just go to a different neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Charles. Hi there. Oh, there's Charles. Well, Tony, I, I, for the, you know, you, you didn't resend me the reminder, so I have the link until just a second ago, and I was going through my old emails and I couldn't find it. So, uh, I, I told Kelly to send it out a couple of hours ago. Didn't she send it out? I got it like five seconds ago. Yeah. Uh, you know, we've had a little email issue. She wasn't here five seconds ago, so I couldn't have sent it out five seconds ago. Charles. If you look on top of that Zoom, the meeting now, and it's the same meeting number every week. So if you just copy it and paste it in your notes or somewhere, you'll have it for every week. You see on top there? With, with Gee, and I'm so stupid. I didn't think of doing that myself. <laughs> Are you being sarcastic? Yes. Okay. Okay. I, I tried I, and it didn't work. Yeah, I, I see that uh, Reverend Kelly sent it out at 3.43, so I don't know why you didn't get it. But we have had a few email issues. So I'm sorry, I'll try to send, I, I'll try to send it out the day before. But I, it, it, she definitely, I, I sent her a text and sent it out. She told me she had. It was about a quarter to four. I didn't get it either, but I did use the number that we use every week. So I, I understand why it didn't work for Charles. Okay. Well, I guess I'm just stupid and I didn't get it. So that's fine. Well, what, the what, first time. what are you talking about? Uh, the, the link, the link to the meeting. So uh, we're, uh, we're, we had, we had email issues all day today. Things didn't, it's, uh, it's probably just our email problem. Charles, were you thinking I was saying you were stupid? Yes. I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean to have that tone. It was not my intention and it's not my thought. I was just trying to make it easier. Sorry.
Okay. I am um, adjusting my view here. Oh, I know what I got to do. I got to change the, there we go. Uh, anybody heard from Griff? Or, as I said, I got a message from Jeremy. He said he probably couldn't make it. And uh, Dawn said she couldn't make it. Oh, and Kim, that's the other one. Kim is driving to, uh, she's, she's on the road from Lubbock to uh, that border town she lives in, Del Rio. And so she can't make it. So we're just missing Griff. So we're just missing Griff. Does anybody have, I don't have Griff on a text message, so if anybody can send him a quick message, that would be great just to make sure he hasn't just forgot. Hmm. Let me see if I've got him. Hold on. No. Anyway, we'll, uh, we'll hope he joins us. So let's just do a little opening prayer. So Holy Spirit, thank you so much for giving us this opportunity to be together here today. Once again, let's just express our gratitude that we have all listened to your voice and made the decision to take the time to be here, to um, center in, to read this new version of A Course in Miracles, to ask for your guidance and your interpretation. And to affirm that we have your, your help and and your perception always there at our at our fingertips or just a thought away we just have to remember that it is there we have to remember to turn to you and when we do that we we're we just know that you are going to give us the guidance that we need to reinterpret all things so that we can see everything that goes on and that happens to us as a step in our way back to the remembrance of our true identity, our peace, and our oneness with all life, all of creation. Amen. Amen. Hello. What's new? I had some interesting thoughts about about the scholarship and our discussion about uh, the footnotes and um, understanding the different references. Okay. And what you know, I do think the footnotes are sometimes interesting. But what was really interesting to me was when I, I was reading some part of the text, which I don't remember what part, uh, and it struck me that our whole focus on the scholarship of the work and whether or not um, and, and what it actually means and if we are interpreting it the way it's actually meant is really, um, isn't it doing what the Course says we should try not to do, which is to drag the past into the present and thereby create the same future? In other words, Maybe the words are written in such a way that every time you read them, 
you get a different meaning and that's the way it's supposed to be rather than the meaning rather than have a static meaning interesting Well, it would seem to me you would have a static meaning only if your mind were static. I think we're in, our minds are in constant flux. We have all sorts of um, things bombarding us all day long. We, we, we learn, we forget, we do all kinds of things with our minds. And so I don't view the mind as being in static. So I'm not, I'm not too surprised that the interpretation is not static. Yeah, I was just thinking about the the footnotes and whether or not when we read it, if, or, or any other sort of thing that tries to describe to us what was meant by the words, that when we read them, uh, maybe what was meant actually changes with every time we read it, so that it's not really important wherever the words came from originally or what they originally referred to. Even though it is interesting, I will say some of it's really interesting, but maybe that's not important. Well, I think there's an element of, of truth to that, but I, I know for my own self, I have never read a book once and entirely memorized it. I don't know if I could read one sentence and entirely memorize it. And so, yes, every time I read it, it is different in, in that sense. Um, Maybe maybe subtle differences, but um, you know you you go th- you go through these things and you say, "Gee, I didn't see that comma there last time," or did it say "r" or "and" or you know you t- to me all these things happen. Um, mm. Yeah. Well, Tony here, and uh, I. Uh, you know, I, I read what uh, Griff, I, I, was, well, I was hoping Griff was here. I, I read what Griff posted, and I thought, well, we could try doing the footnotes differently. I mean, we, we could do what it seems like Griff is, would like to try or like to do, which is to just read the footnotes as they come up instead of uh, reading them at the end of a miracle principle, because we actually haven't tried that. Um, you know, maybe that will seem different. Maybe that will seem better. Maybe that, you know, I don't know. But, you know, I, I think it's kind of a toss-up because if, if you do that, then you break, break the flow, uh, the way the words were being received by Helen. But I, I guess we really just don't know um, whether that will seem like a better thing or not. I do want to read all the annotations and the footnotes. I mean, that's part of the, you know, that's what we what we said we were going to do. And I think, um, I mean, that's what I want to do. I, I want to, <clears throat> I just read them in an awareness that it, this is Robert Perry. I mean, I, you just really have to be able to sort it out. I mean, the footnotes are, are not Jesus speaking to Helen. They're Robert Perry. So, in essence, we're kind of reading the chorus, and we're reading Robert Perry talking about the chorus at the same time. Uh, but I think as long as you can sort of keep an awareness of that, it should be okay. But I see Griff's point of view that it, it's, it's a little weird going back after, a, you know, five or six paragraphs or four or five paragraphs and trying reading a footnote that referred to something because you don't really remember what it referred to anymore. So then it almost seems wasted uh, or you have to go back and try to, you know, read it. But so that's what I thought. I thought we tried tonight just to read the paragraph and there was a footnote in the paragraph just to go back down and read the footnote right there when we read the paragraph and see how that feels after tonight. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess I didn't, um,
No. That's all right, I'll pass. Okay. Are you, you're sitting, oh, I know, you're sitting in that, you're, you're sitting in a different position, or the, the computer's in a different position. But anyway, I, the visual of you is much better, Christine, than it's been previous weeks. We can uh, so what you're saying, what are, oh, are you saying, Reverend Tony, is that we cannot drop the footnotes. No, I don't want to drop the footnote. No. That wasn't the okay. purpose. Of, the purpose of this uh, class, how it was stated, that we were going to read the entire thing, and you know, including all the eventually all the uh, the cameos and the footnotes. You know, mm -hmm. I, I want to stick with that. Good. I, I, I personally want to read it. Maybe because I want to read them. I you know, I, <laughs> I have I have a great deal of respect for Robert, and I'm I'm you know I'm. It, it does kind of enhance the meaning for me. And, you know, if, you know, you think of this as Jesus first, first and foremost speaking to Helen, then it helps to have a little background of what he was speaking about, what Helen might know that I might not know. And it, it helps put that in a little more perspective for me. And well, I, I want to know. Go ahead, Christy. I guess I'm actually not really interested in Robert Perry being my teacher, and that's part of what I hear you saying. And that, um, so I, just uh, to put that out there, because I've been struggling with this, and that um, that is Robert Perry being the teacher of of Jesus here. And I wouldn't have read I wouldn't read any book that I wanted Wapnick to teach me or you or anybody else anymore. So I just need to put that out there because that's I, that's what's bugging me. It's Robert Perry teaching what Jesus said to Helen and I don't think any I don't so I, I I'll sit with it tonight but it takes it takes all of the energy to um then try to remember oh well, this is something yes I quite agree with you Christine thank you so Tony, what about, why don't we uh, read the footnotes to ourselves? I mean, we're all, we're all, I'm sure, adept enough readers as we go through the text, we could, we could read the footnotes too. Um. And then if anybody wants to discuss something about in, that's in the footnotes, we certainly could. Well, let me sit with that and ask for some guidance on that. I think we're only at week number five. So it's a little, is it week five? I think it's week five, or maybe this is week six. Uh, six. I don't want to make too many decisions. You know, we, we set out, we, we read, you know, we read the agreements. It's in the agreements that we're going to read everything. That's, that's also what I, I publicized, was that we were going to read everything. And I would like to read everything. I know me. I'm not going to go back and read it. I just, I just know I won't because I don't have the time. And I, I, and I guess I do think they're valuable. I don't really consider I – don't, I don't consider that's, that's Robert teaching me the course. I just consider it more like that's – Robert being in the class and, and he's done some research on this and he's sharing it, but I, I don't look at Robert Perry as my teacher of A Course in Miracles, um, but a learned person.
person, a scholar's thoughts. <laughs> I love the dog there, you love. Um, uh, they're valuable. Do you have the book in front of you or do you have printouts? I mean, because the only reason I'm asking is because as we are reading, as some, for instance, if someone else is reading, I can easily read the footnote to myself as we're, as we're going along. Well, the footnotes sometimes are really long. I mean, you can't be reading two things at the same time. We should be reading what the people are reading. What, well, you know, I, I, I would like us all to read together. I don't want to, I don't want to, oh, son, I got a long footnote here. Now I've read two paragraphs and I've missed the reading of, that somebody else is reading or I'm reading it while somebody's talking. I don't really, I don't think that's a good idea. Well, well, I would agree. I would agree with reading the uh, the footnotes uh, right after, you know, as they come up. I don't. I don't view it as somebody um, teaching me. I view it as I think as, as Tony was trying to allude to. That Robert Perry is a student in the class. He's giving us his interpretation of what this is all about. He's giving us additional information, and so what I have just read, which the footnote refers to, is more meaningful to me. Yeah, so let's let's try that tonight, and uh, see. You know, that's a little different than what we've done before. I'm just looking here at, at the, if this is week this is week five, um, and see how that goes. And um, but I, I appreciate everybody's uh, discussion. We can continue this discussion going, and especially in the Facebook group and. Um, I'll keep asking for guidance on it, but let's start reading. So that, that's what I would like us to do tonight. I would like us to read and, and at the end of a paragraph, if there was a footnote to go down and read it. If the footnote is just a reference to a cameo, I mean, there's no particular reason to read that. It's just referencing a cameo. Um, but let us start. We read uh, up to, um, Miracle principle number 39. So we would be starting with miracle principle number 40. Hold on, I want to get my little grid here. So I keep track of who is reading. So I will start. Let's see, I've got a real book tonight. I'm not trying to read off a computer screen. Okay, so 40 is kind of short. I'll just read it off. Okay, miracles are a blessing from parents to children. This is just another way of phrasing the earlier principle about by those who have more for those who have less. Okay, that's 80. And so the footnote there is he's referring to an earlier part of the um, text. He says, miracles are a form of healing. There are, they supply a lack. They are performed by those who have more for those who have less. Okay, children do not belong to parents, but they do need to share their parents' greater abundance. If they are deprived, their perception becomes distorted. When this occurs, the whole family of God or the sonship is impaired in its relationships. Ultimately, every member of the family of God must return. The miracle calls him to return because it blesses and honors him, even though he may be absent in spirit. Okay, and that's um, <clears throat> footnote 81, referring to Matthew. Blessed are the poor in spirit, 
for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so that's all of that uh, principle. How about we uh, talk about that a little bit? Who would like to, anybody like to share something about that? Uh, when it says the miracle calls to him to return because it blesses and honors him even though he may be absent in spirit, it's about the the child. Are they talking? Or is is the um, is the uh, miracle itself talking or? I, I didn't, Tony here, I didn't personally get that it was talking about the child. I didn't even think of interpreting it that way, but I'm just looking at, I mean, thank you for that, because I'm just looking at it again and seeing uh, how it would fit with that as an idea. I mean, this whole idea about children and sharing in their parents' abundance, you know, that's the first time I've ever read anything like that, so... That obviously was changed and edited. In fact, I don't remember. There's no miracle principle in any of the books that I've ever studied that were about, you know, children blessing parents or, or parents blessing children. Miracles are a blessing from parents to children. Yeah, I don't know. That's all pretty much new information to me. So, Yolanda, for me, that what that is again referencing is we're removing blocks to our God's presence God being our father in this image and so I my what I think that's saying at least for me is that again that's the parent the parent God is the <laughs> God's the all encompassing love miracles are love and it's just making a reference to us being connected directly with our father seeing it in that yeah. way yeah yeah yeah. You know, it seems like we have a really good connection tonight, and I'm not hearing any static at all. So we will try just keeping everybody unmuted. That might have been all me at the hotel last week. I don't know. <laughs> so Yolanda, you might just try keeping yourself unmuted. It might just work. I know you're you're really adept at muting and unmuting yourself. But okay. Good. You, no problem. You can try it. Seems like we can all hear. Well, I do like the idea that children do not belong to parents. I am. This is a very interesting idea, but the children do need to share their parents' greater abundance. Uh, you know, hope. I think that means that hopefully we have greater abundance, greater abundance, greater awareness of abundance. Let's say. Well, let's hope so. But I mean, even in a in a worldly plane, I mean, the parents usually have shelter and food, and are able to you know clothe. I mean, let's hope. 
I guess it's probably not the case for a vast majority of the world population at the moment, but uh, the, the parents generally have food and shelter to offer to their children. And then, then it's, it's quite clear though, that if, if the children are deprived, their perception becomes distorted. Well, if your father, if your father and your parent don't love you, you become very distorted. Oh. Mm -hmm. There's, there's that too. Well, because the, because the course um, focuses more on the spiritual side of things instead of the physical side, I'm really wondering if this whole thing about the parents having more abundance and our uh, seeming interpretation of it being a physical abundance, I, I can see maybe more spiritual abundance and maybe wiser. I would have, I would have termed this thing differently. Uh, there are many children who have more physical abundance than their parents do. So um, that's why I'm, I'm kind of thinking it really means uh, spiritual abundance and not physical abundance. Okay. Okay, great. Thank you. Let's uh, read on. So uh, the next one is Miracle Principle 41. Let's see, that's four paragraphs. Okay, well, uh, Rosalind, you could read all of that and then just uh, read the footnotes as they come up, if you would, please. Yes. The miracle acknowledges all men as your brothers and mine. It is a way of perceiving the universal mark of God in them. 83. Ezekiel, and the Lord said to him, go through the city, through Jerusalem, through Jerusalem, and put a mark upon the foreheads of the men who sigh and groan over all the abominations that are committed in it. The mark of God here is to be placed on the foreheads of those who reject idolatry, thus marking them as gods and saving them from the coming wrath. In the Course's reference, it is a mark possessed by everyone, which is seen via the miracle. The mark of God, in quotes, may also be a reference to the mark of Cain, Genesis 4.15, which marked him as a murderer of his brother Abel, and as someone cursed and shunned. This is at least as how the mark of Cain has come to be seen. If so, the above paragraph would then be contrasting the two, the true universal mark, a sign of sonship that everyone possesses with the mark that sets Cain apart from all others. I think you missed 82. Yeah. Did I miss 82? Yeah, it was right at the end of the first sentence. Um, oh, Oh, you're right. Okay. All Men Are Brothers is a 14th century Chinese novel made famous in America by the 1933 translation by Perlis Buck. There are two other probable references to this book title in the course, CT4 and M4, which makes us confident that this is a genuine reference. So that referred to the sentence, the miracle acknowledges all men as your brothers and mine. Okay. Um, so do you want me to go on? Yeah, yeah, go ahead and read the whole principle. It's just four paragraphs. And... 
Okay, where did I leave off? What does it start with? You just finished the, you're, you're on two. I'm on two. Your false idea about your own exclusion from universal love is both fallacious and arrogant. Your real specialness does not stem from exclusion, but from inclusion. All my brothers are special. You should stop interpreting this as all except me. This is ridiculous. The implied lack of love that this version can see is way off the mark and misses the level of right thinking entirely. Off the mark is a pun referring to the earlier statement that a miracle is a way of perceiving the universal mark of God in them. This pun was another special sign of love to Bill, who loved puns and to whom this material was directed. It means lack of love toward himself failed to recognize the mark of God in himself and was thus literally off the mark. Number three, you must heal your perception in this respect. You must work a miracle on behalf of yourself here. See the principle about miracles as perception correctors. Six, principle 37. Before you can extend miracles as creative energizers, which they are. 50 million Frenchmen cannot be wrong because the notion is too fragmented. A reference to the 1920s song, 50 million Frenchmen can't be wrong, which compared that era's free Parisian attitudes with Americans' prohibition and censorship. This sentence was originally directed at Bill. Tell Bill that 50 million Frenchmen cannot be wrong. And it it can be wrong. Can be wrong. Okay, sorry. Important correction. Thank you can be wrong and means that even if millions of people shared Bill's belief in being excluded from universal love, it still wouldn't be true. Okay. That was 87. So am I on four? Yeah. No, I have one more sentence to do. What can't be wrong is the universal sonship of which you are a part. Then four, God is not marked may arouse anticipation of punishment, but it is really a reassurance. 88. Galatians, be not deceived. God is not mocked, mocked. For whoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. In the Bible verse, God is not mocked because his justice will have the last word. If you break his laws, you will pay. In the course's reinterpretation, God is not marked because his creation of you will have the last word. No matter how sinful you appear to become, you cannot change the holiness he created in you. Um, that was 88. God would be mocked if any of his creations lacked holiness. The creation is whole. The mark of wholeness is holiness, not holes. The sonship has no holes anywhere. That's 89. The reference to holes in contrast to wholeness is yet another pun for Bill's sake. It refers to Bill's belief 
that where his place in the sonship should have been, there was just a hole. Oh. Um, was that 89? Okay. Remember, God is not marked, mocked under any circumstances. Okay, great. <clears throat> so let's talk about that a little bit. Well, I'm sure glad that that was put back in because I think most students who, of A Course in Miracles, in my experience, feel like there's some hole inside them. And, you know, yes, it might be true that everybody's holy, but um, what about me because of shame or psychological issues? So I'm, I'm sure glad that was put back in. I, Tony here, I had no notion that 50 million Frenchmen can't be wrong was actually the name of a 1927 song <laughs> about Parisians' attitudes towards American prohibition and censorship. Right, and what does that actually have to do with, with this course at all? I mean, sorry, I, I, I find it really distracting that, that really what's being said is he's picking it apart and giving all these interpretations that have nothing to do with it. Well, it must have something to do with it. Jesus put it in there. I mean, he must have, he put Jesus it in there. Jesus didn't put in that. He wasn't talking about the Bible to them and he wasn't talking about these Frenchmen. He may have used those references in his conversation to him, but that wasn't the intention of what Jesus said to him, Tony. And I, and I, I, I am feeling... I'm trying to, it's, it's not actually reading the book. It's reading Robert's interpretation of it. And, and that's great. I'll see if I can, if I, if I can't um, tolerate, I'll, 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 I'll disconnect. But that's, you, 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 you take, by picking it apart and we're reading what Robert's telling us, that's not the course. And that wasn't the handwritten notes. My understanding from, from reading what Robert has written here was their intent was to print the handwritten notes because that's what the, Jesus told them to do, not to make all these references and not to interject all of his own thinking in it. And that's swell that that's there and, and Robert makes a connection between the reference to the song, but that's not what the book is about. I agree. Well, I, um, I agree, but I, I guess part of my learning process in life is that when something confuses me, I ask myself what it is about Charles that it confuses Charles. And so I would ask Charles. Charles. to do the same. I mean, what, what is it about this thing or what is it about your whatever internal makeup that, and I mean, why don't you just laugh about it? If you were a Buddhist, wouldn't you just laugh at it? Oh, there's cloud number nine going by. I'll laugh at cloud number nine or cloud number 12. I don't need you to shame and guilt me. Well, Tony, let, yes. let me ask you again, and this is what I was thinking in my first comment when we started the class, is whether or not, now it is true, the, the historical ref, reference to the 50 million Frenchmen um, was something that was a conversation 
to Bill. And so they did put it back into this book. And, um, you know, whether it was supposed to be in the book or not, I don't, you know, I don't know. But as we are reading it, if we are only one mind, is it really important that we know what that original reference was to as um, we read it now? Okay, my thought on that is yeah. we, we have been guided, I have been guided, we have all been guided to read the Circle of Atonement's new edition of A Course in Miracles. We all got that guidance for some reason. This is the Circle of Atonement's new edition of A Course in Miracles. Mm. So I wouldn't read the Circle of Atonement's new edition of A Course in Miracles and say, well, that sentence shouldn't be there. Uh, you know, that this, this is a, in some way a trusting, of, or at least a, not trusting, but a surrender for uh, a period of time uh, to Robert Perry's ideas, thoughts, guidance about what should be what should have been a course of miracles uh and went back to helen shuckman's notes so i'm pretty sure this this must i mean i don't have the notes in front of me i could i could you could you can look these up they're not they're not unknown i mean you can look at uh, uh digital copies of the notes so i'm 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 sure that that must have been in the notes so the, the notes are you know uh helen shuckman scribing of what jesus was was saying in her mind so this is apparently what jesus was saying in her mind and um there were some personal things that robert pulled out and that's actually what i believe became the cameos so if he thought it was personal and not really a part of the course itself he put it in the cameo and we're we'll read those in a in a in a more of a regulated way well, but he I, believes he believes this was supposed to be not not personal. This was part of what was what was scribed, what was supposed to be in there, and so he's giving us a little further information because actually, if you just read it without that information, it would seem a little strange. So he's given us a little clue what he thinks that is about. Well, can, can I? I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say that um, I'm I'm looking here at the urtext. And I'm looking at what's written here as Miracle 41. And Miracle 41 says, the as in the book that we're reading, the Circle of Atonement book, says the miracle acknowledges all men as your brothers and mine. That's exactly the same as the urtext. It goes on and says, it is a way of perceiving the universal mark of God in them. That's exactly the same as the urtext. But then the urtext next says, in a parenthesis, it says, Tell B, Bill, tell B that this is that this is the true strawberry mark of brotherhood. This is just a sign of special concerns for him because he keeps worrying about this. So that's a special note to Bill about brotherhood, and but yet. Miracle 41 in the book we're reading adds this is the true strawberry mark of brotherhood, and then it goes on to give us the um, footnote of that. So, now somebody. Okay, so, but what you're, what you're proving and showing is that the urtext is not the notes. 
and that the urtext is a different thing, which is the point. The, uh, the urtext was possibly the third typing, maybe this, certainly the second, possibly the third. Helen Schuckman continually went through and was editing as time, as time went along. And we pretty much know, and I, and I believe, that Helen Schuckman's editing, though maybe it was, much of it was guided by Jesus, it, it certainly had a flavor of her own predilections and her own values. And, uh, and, and the further along it went, the more it moved in that direction. So the whole, one of the whole reasons of going back to the notes was to get as early possible uh, the, the scribing before, before Helen edited it. So what you're reading there from the urtex is like the second or third, probably the third typing. She's already edited it uh, three times. That includes the time that she edited it in her mind. She's reading from her notes. She's editing it as she's even telling it to Bill. But actually, it's wrong. Just, I just see Griff has, Griff has joined us. Hi, Griff. Hello, um, Griff. Actually, Robert talks about in Appendix 2 exactly the editing and the urtex was the editing that Helen typed after the first time. But Tony, right. you, you know, you just, you just made this whole thing about Helen having her own bias and, and, and that's exactly what Robert's putting there. He's putting his own bias, his own interpretation and adding things that, that he felt were necessary. So I, I, Deb, I actually, I, I think that I'm still going to hold to the fact that, that you just proved that the urtex is not putting all of Robert's extraneous, his own thoughts, his own bias, his own perceptions about things there. Well, well, in, in fairness to Robert, and I'm looking at the appendix that he, that he wrote where he took the earth text and then they show exactly how they changed it into the new edition. And what he did explain is that they tried to take the specific, um, directions given to Helen and Bill and make them universal and applicable to everyone. Right. Well, that's what he said. That's what he says in the back. Again, in a few words, it says, how was it originally edited? He, he mentions that apparently Jesus wanted them only to make the personal material generalizable to the reader, which is, makes sense. You don't want it to seem like he's only talking to them, but all of the personal material remains personal. <sighs> And he met, he says very clearly that after the first credit to Bill, the first time was one typing, and then she retyped he did. I don't think that, that vertex that we read is that far, that many times. Is it Griff who has the noise, Griff? Oh, because Griff is, Griff is muted, so it wouldn't be him who the, where the noise came up. Where is that coming from? Hello, Griff. Can I unmute you, or is it really noisy there? I can unmute you. Hold. No, don't unmute you. You're eating. <laughs> hey, Griff. We are we are doing it. I, I I'm glad you're here. We're we're trying it a little differently tonight, in in deference to um, some some posts here. So, so we're trying. We're reading the footnotes as they come along. So we'll see. So we'll see how you know. We'll just see how we like that. Uh, and um, you know, if it's a short paragraph, I guess you can just read them at the end of the paragraph, but I'll leave it to the reader's discretion whether you want to just read them at the end of the sentence itself, but at least at the end of the paragraph, read the footnotes associated with um, what you've just read. 
And thank you for joining us, dear brother. Sorry, there's a chainsaw to the uh, thigh. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh, that, me, that was good. Uh, and uh, Jeremy couldn't join us tonight. And uh, neither could Don. And Kim is driving back to uh, Del Rio, Texas. Okay, let us read on. So, Deb, you are reading. Let's see, how long is 42? Oh, 42 is kind of long, so let's uh, let's break. Oh, it's really long. Oh, hold on a second. Okay, let's, why don't you read, like, um, four, the first four paragraphs. You're on 42. 42. Wholeness is the perceptual content of the miracle. It thus corrects or atones for the faulty perception of lack. We can now return to the fundamental distinction between miracles and projection. See the discussion under Miracle Principle 35. The stimulus must precede the response and must also determine or at least influence the kind of response that is evoked. The relationship of stimulus and response is extremely intimate. Behavioristic terminology is because this part deals with behavior. What is that noise from? I didn't hear it. The, oh, you don't hear that? I hear it. I didn't hear it. It sounds like a fan or a... Water. <laughs> water, a fan, something going, okay. Um, behavioristic terminology is a reference to the psychological school of behaviorism, which focuses on the scientific study of behavior without reference to mental states viewing behavior strictly as a response to environmental stimuli. Behavior is response. So the question, response to what, becomes crucial. Stimuli of all kinds are identified through perception. You perceive the stimulus and behave accordingly. It follows then that as you perceive, so will ye behave. And that is an allusion to the saying, as ye sow, so, sh so shall ye reap, which is based on Galatians 6, 7. Consider the golden rule again. You are asked, well, I didn't read the rest of that, 92, which goes on to say, whatever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. This allusion mixes biblical terminology with Jesus' reworking of behavioristic thought, which Helen noted in response. I raised the point that biblical language is hardly behavioristic terminology. Jesus answered, no, but they needn't be out of accord with each other either. Consider the golden rule again. You are asked to behave toward others as you would have them behave toward you. This means that your perception of both must be accurate since the golden rule is the order for appropriate behavior. You can't behave appropriately unless you perceive accurately, because appropriate behavior depends on lack of level confusion. This is the first occurrence of level confusion as a term, although the concept has appeared several times, most notably in principles 21, 26, and 28. Level confusion means confusing one level with another. Here it refers to confusing the physical level with the spiritual level. We do this by seeing the attributes of the spiritual level truth, our identity, love, communion, and happiness is residing instead in the physical level. 
This alignment of the attributes of one level to another is the essence of level confusion. The presence of level confusion always results in variable reality testing and hence in variability in behavioral appropriateness. Reality testing, checking your perceptions against the realities of the situation and adjusting your perceptions accordingly. The point made above is that if you have confused the physical level and the spiritual level by assigning the attributes of one to the other, then you cannot conduct sound reality testing, for you are confused about reality. Your behavior then will be appropriate to your view of reality, but not to reality itself. All forms of debasing your self-image are fundamental perceptual distortions. They inevitably produce either self-contempt or projection onto others, and usually both. Since you and your neighbor are equal members of the same family, and perceive both, so will you behave toward both. The way to perceive for golden rule behavior is to look out from the perception of your own holiness and perceive the feeling of others. That was four paragraphs. Did you want me to read? Yeah, no, that was good. I just, I, I had to mute myself because my phone was ringing. <laughs> I think I caught it in time. Okay, thank you. Yeah, let, let's just go ahead and read uh, the whole principle before we discuss. So, uh, Christine, could you read the next, um, uh, how many paragraphs is this thing? It's got eight paragraphs. Why don't you just read the rest of it? Paragraphs five through eight. Note the very old Jewish practice of changing the name of a person who is very ill so that when the list is given to the angel of death, the person with that name will not be found. The Talmud says four things about abrogate the degree of, decree of man, for example, can avert the angel of death, and they are clarity, supplication, change of name, and change of action. And Poland, this idea resulted in never uttering the name of an infant or one extremely ill, but using a nickname instead, so as to deceive the angel of death. This was actually a distortion of a revelation about how to alter or avert death. The revelation's proper content was that those who change their mind, not name, about destruction or hate, do not die. Death is a human affirmation of a belief in hate. That is why the Bible says there is no death, and that is why I, Jesus, demonstrated that death does not exist. Remember that I came to fulfill the law by reinterpreting it. Matthew, think not I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have come not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. The above passage implies that Jesus himself, his person, and his deeds is not what fulfilled the law. He fulfilled it by reinterpreting it. He implies that the law, like the Jewish practice regarding names, was a distortion of revelation. He fulfilled the law by revealing the revelation's proper content. You're going to have to mute us. The law itself, if properly understood, offers only protection. It is those who have not yet changed their minds who have entered the hellfire concept into it. Remember, I said before that just before nature abhors a vacuum, it does not follow that the vacuum is filled with hellfire. The emptiness engendered by fear 
which should be replaced by love, because love and its absence are the same dimension, and true connection cannot, correction cannot be undertaken except within a dimension. Otherwise, there has been a confusion of levels. The emptiness engendered by fear is the vacuum from the previous sentence, which consists of an absence of love. The point is that an absence of love should be filled with a presence of love. To fill it with hellfire instead would be to confuse two very kinds of things, love and hellfire. You need considerable clarification on the channel role. If you ask somebody what he believes before you tell him what you believe, then you are implying that you will say what he approves. This is not the real authority. The real way to complete is the sentence. When they told me what to do is, I referred the question to the only real authority. This originally referred to the sentence completion test in which respondents are given the beginning of a sentence called a stem, which they then have to complete. The way they complete it reveals their underlying attitudes desires and belief, and they were involved with this person who formulated this uh, personality survey, and it's still actually used today. I can't think of the name of the professor, but that's still used. Again, that's sort of irrelevant here, but. The Bible, the Bible says, to everyone then who gives witness to me before men, I will give witness before my Father in heaven. Matthew, the Bible verse gives the impression that if you stand up for your belief in Jesus before others, Jesus will reward you by standing up for his belief in you before God. In the Course's explanation, witnessing for Jesus means giving miracles, expressions of love to others. By doing this, you free Jesus to do what he always wants to do, which is witness for you, express his eternal belief in you. The quotation means that you represent or witness for the authority in whom you believe. Your witnessing demonstrates your belief and thus strengthens it. I assure you that I will witness for anyone who lets me and to whatever extent he himself permits it. Those who witness for me are expressing through their miracles that they have abandoned deprivation in favor of the abundance they have learned belongs to them. Oh. <clears throat> Okay, um, so a, a lot of you are muted. If you can unmute yourself, if you, you please do that. If you don't know how or can't do that easily, wave and I'll try to see you. Charles did it. So who would like to say something about any of this? So when there's a pause like this, could we just read on so we could get more read? Well, because it's almost time to take a break. So I would say it's probably a good time to chat just a bit because we probably don't have time to really read. The next one is rather long. Any, any, um, any share? Uh, so here it, 
is uh, the paragraph in, in paragraph five says that uh, note the very old Jewish practice of changing the name of a person. Um, how relevant is to the to a course in miracles? I don't exactly know, but was interesting to to read about this. And and uh, if it's a ritual or, or a practice, I don't know. Well, in Judaism, Yolanda, they actually cover the mirrors um, when they, after the person dies. But I personally think that that's, again, it's a relation to the, where he's talking about perception as the content or correction, correction or atonement for faulty lack of, for perception of lack. So he's making a point there in that, bringing that other into the, you, if you change your name, he's kind of saying there's no death. Uh, okay. Death change your perception of death by not seeing it as a lack okay i i see mm -hmm, mm -hmm. thank you well you know um it's interesting because in the ur text it says note in capital letters with a um with a colon after it. I don't really know if, um, no, actually that, that did, that did come from Jesus because he then goes on to say that the very old Jewish practice of changing the name, um, is a good example of the curiously literal regression, which can occur in very bright people when they become afraid you and B both do it. So he was talking to them about this faulty lack of percept or perceptual lack of lack. He was talking to them about um, literal regression, which can occur in very bright people when they become afraid. Well, happens, uh, to me. <laughs> happens to me. <laughs> regression when I become afraid. Anything else? How you doing there, Griff? Anything to share with us? We, we want to hear your voice a little before we go on break. Uh, I'm really just getting caught up. Um, I have a shit storm of dogs around here, so I'm keeping muted for most of it. But yeah, I'm just literally just settling in now. Okay. So I'll take a break and then I'll settle in again. Okay. Well, I'm glad you made it. I got a call from Kim while, you know, I'll, I'll check it out on the break and see if she needs the code or something to call in or something like that. Anything else? The, the idea of Jesus coming to reinterpret the law, that he comes to fulfill the law, by reinterpreting it just has always struck me. I mean, and that is in a lot of the different editions, so it's not particularly new to this one. Um, certainly the idea to, to get the, the idea of hell and the hellfire concept out of it 
And, you know, I think a lot of what A Course in Miracles has always been is a, a reinterpretation of, um, of biblical, of some of the biblical teachings, some of the traditional Christian teaching. And you got to remember that that's what Jesus did even when he was here 2,000 years ago. He was reinterpreting and giving a different uh, meaning to traditional Jewish teachings. So it's, it seems to be a very consistent thing, uh, kind of a consistent Jesus thing to continually be reinterpreting the current, the current um, spiritual beliefs and kicking them up a notch. Um, you know, actually, historically, Jesus wasn't reinterpreting Judaism, Tony. Ju Jesus had a, a revelation experience and then went out in the world to help people learn kind of what he's telling in this book more that, that to help people understand that God is your creator, even as you live here. When you, when you really go back and read and understand the history of Jesus and his teaching, he wasn't challenging Judaism in any way. He really was taking his, his revelation experience that there was a God or there was this divinity in him that all of us should be aware of and know that it is our inheritance. <clears throat> Don't you think there might have been some challenging of the Jewish traditions when, uh, with, the, with the temple and the money lenders in the temple and all of that kind of stuff? No, actually, that, that's also it's a, that's a made-up story. If you want to know, if you actually want to know, and I'm, taking a, I'm actually taking two courses at the moment. One is about Jesus' teaching and the history, and this professor is really very amazing. Um, but I posted a video that, that actually speaks more reasonably and in a more common sense way to this actual truth that Jesus was Jesus met up actually with with John the Baptist and he could let John baptize him and that Jesus had a revelation under the water he had an experience of divinity of God in him at that moment and he came to some understanding in himself that that's what we are and that's really the message I hear him giving Helen and Bill that you're God is your creator, and that as you live and breathe, that has never changed from the time God created man. And Jesus wasn't challenging religion, and he wasn't trying to start Christianity either. No, I, I, I agree with that. Hey, Tony? Yeah. Um, some. This is really interesting because you were talking about how you uh, – I was saying in the Ur text it said curiously literal regression, which can occur in very bright people when they become afraid. Um, it actually goes on to say some very interesting things in the Ur text that are taken out of this book. And you might be interested. It says, you and Bill both do it. Actually, it is a device closely related to the phobia in the sense that they narrow fear to a simple aspect of a much larger problem in order to enable them to avoid it. A similar mechanism works when you get furious about a comparatively minor infraction by someone to whom you are ambivalent. A good example of this is your response to Jonathan, who does leave things around in very strange ways. Actually, he does this because he thinks that by minor areas of disorganization, he can protect his stability. I remind you that you have done this yourself and should understand it very well. The fury comes from your awareness that you do not love Jonathan as you should and you narrow your lack of love by centering your hate on a trivial behavior in an attempt to protect him from it. Yeah, I think actually uh, 
that whole passage is, is uh, the subject of one of the cameos, because I read some of the cameos. So these things that, like you're reading there, that were pulled out that Robert has apparently thought were, were the personal things that were supposed to be edited out, most of them he has put into these cameos, and then he comments on them. Okay, so this is probably a good time to break. Um, so I got uh, 37 after the hour. Let's take 12 minutes. So let's all call back at or 49 after. Okay. Okay, you don't have to, you know, drop off, but you can mute or do whatever.
Can I can I say something? Um, yeah, I just unmuted everybody. Okay. <laughs> um, I'm feeling a little bit disturbed about um, how people take things personally and bark at each other. I mean, it, um, I um, I just um, yeah, I find that that we're reading a course in miracles, and we're we're to take in the message that. We're holy, and so is our brother. And I, I know stuff comes up, but um, I feel like we should be practicing um, a little more generosity. And or if or if we're being triggered, quiet about what what what's going on. But this barking at each other is disturbing to me, especially in this kind of group. Okay. Noted. Woof, 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 woof. I will no longer bark tonight. <laughs> but you're right. You're absolutely right. I got to go see Hamilton yesterday. It was no way. Oh, wow. Way. It was who, so who did you see? What? Hamilton. How did you get tickets? How much did you spend? Well, I actually um I have season tickets. Oh my. So it was it was part of this year, but it, I mean all of the all of the plays this year have been truly, truly amazing. But uh the the power of it is powerful, for sure. You saw it on Broadway? No, 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 here in San Francisco. I live in San Francisco. So okay. San Francisco. Okay, so is it the same kind of thing to get tickets in San Francisco? Well, I read somewhere that they, that they people were selling tickets for about anywhere between three and $800. So I don't even know whether you could get any tickets now or not. Mm-hmm. How was it? it? It truly was amazing. I mean, it's just amazing. I've seen interviews with um lynn miranda and i've seen the documentaries that have been made about it and i have to tell you i I mean without seeing it on broadway clearly it it seemed to be right up there with with what you would expect wow the original was that these people and they're the we were and we were talking about it in my class today actually and how even though you know he and his family are um, puerto rican but he managed to, even with this cast of multicolored people, you, you really lose the color 
of it after you get watched for, for just a little bit. It, it goes away pretty quickly. Yeah, it's, a, it's amazing. I would recommend if people have a chance to see it to go. I'd see it, as, I'd see it again. I'd go to Broadway and see it if I now. The tickets are on Broadway are going for thousands of dollars if you can even get one. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Do you? And I don't even know whether it is is um, Lynn Miranda still playing in it. I mean, I, I don't even. She's not, but I'm not sure. Okay, okay, good. Time for us to start reading again. So we are on Miracle Principle number. 43, so remember we're reading the uh, footnotes as we either come across them or at least by the end of the paragraph. Um, let's see, there's six paragraphs to this one. Why don't we do four each? So uh, how about Yolanda, you can start and do the first four paragraphs and the, and the footnotes that accompany the Miracle Principle 43. There's 12 paragraphs to this principle. There's 12 pairs. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Yes, there are. There are 12 pairs. So that's three people can each read four. Uh, a major contribution of miracles is their strength in releasing a person from his misplaced sense of isolation, dep deprivation, and lack. They are affirmations of sonship, which is state of which is a state of completion and abundance. He emphasizes on changing your mind needs further clarification. Footnote 105. The revelation's proper content was that those who change their mind, not name, about destruction or hate do not need to die. Whatever is true and real is eternal and cannot change or be changed. The spirit is therefore unalterable because it is already perfect. But the mind can elect the level it chooses to serve. The only limit which it put on its choice is that it cannot serve to masters. Note 106. Matthew 6:24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. 106. While the ballot itself is a secret one and the right to vote is fully protected, voting always entails both election and re rejection. If two candidates are voted for, for the same position, the machine cancels the ballot automatically. This is necessary because a split vote does not represent any real elegancy. Okay, no footnote. Uh, free will is the attribute of the mind, not the spirit. The spirit always remains changeless because it never reveals the sight, the sight of God, the sight of God. 
the creation of the spirit is already fully accomplished. The mind, if it votes to do so, becomes a medium by which the spirit can create along the lines of its own creation. If it does not freely elect to do so, it remains this creative ability, but places itself under tyrannous rather than authoritative control. As a result, what it makes is imprisonment because, no, as a result, what it makes is imprisonment because such are the dictates of tyrants. I, shall I read the fourth also? Yeah, yeah, read one more. Okay. Read four. The change, uh, the change, to change your mind means to place it at the disposal of true authority. The miracle is thus a sign that the mind has elected to be guided by Christ in his service. The abundance of Christ is the neutral result of choosing to follow him. Okay, great. Let us uh, read the next four paragraphs. Uh, Charles, how about you read the next four and the footnotes that correspond? Hold on a second, Charles. I got to unmute you. Okay, you're unmuted. The following is in relation to the question of sex. You are involved with unconscious distortions, which are producing a dense cover over miracle impulses making it hard for them to reach consciousness. Sex and miracles are both ways of relating. The nature of any interpersonal relationship is limited or defined by what you want it to do, which is why you want it in the first place. Relating is a way of achieving an outcome. <clears throat> Paragraph six, indiscriminate sexual impulses result in body image misinterpretations. And that's uh, 107. This is another reference to body image distortion, see footnote 14, which is when a person's view of his or her body is significantly different from reality. <clears throat> this is an expression of an indiscriminate attempt to reach communion through the body. This involves not only interruption, improper self-identification, but also disrespect for the individuality of others. Self-control is not the whole answer to this problem, though I am by no means discouraging its use. It must be understood, however, that the underlying mechanism must be up to must be uprooted, a word which you should understand well enough. By not, but not enough to regard it as frightening. 108. Um, it is more of a reaction information against a pull, which you recognize is so intense that you are afraid. You'll think you'll be uprooted. Atonement undoes all errors in this respect, and thus uproots the real source of fear. If you will check back at the reference to uprooting, you will understand it better. In this context, uprooting uh, can appear fearful because it seems as if we ourselves will be uprooted 
by the pull of God. Yet it should not be fearful because what is really uprooted are those false ideas that do not sustain us and merely cause fear. Uh, paragraph 7. All shallow roots have to be uprooted because they are not deep enough to sustain you. The illusion that shallow roots can be deepened and that's made to hold is one of the corollaries on which the universal, without, on which the reversal of the golden rule, referred to twice before, is balance. <clears throat> Footnote 109. Projection still has this hurling connection because it involves hurling something you do not want and regard as dangerous and frightening to someone else. This, this is the opposite of the golden rule. Consider the golden rule again. You are asked to behave toward others as you would have them behave towards you. This means that your perception of both must be accurate. Based on these earlier references, the reversal of the golden rule is when you take something you loathe in yourself and then project this on onto others. You are thus giving onto others something that you don't want to be given onto you. This stems from perceiving both yourself and them inaccurately. So let's see here. That was okay. <clears throat> As these false underpinnings um, are uprooted or given up, equilibrium is un is experienced as unstable. But the fact is that nothing is less stable than an orientation which is upside down. Nothing that holds in that way is hardly con conductive <coughs> to greater stability. The whole danger of defense lies in their propensity to hold misperceptions rigidly in place. This is why rig rigidity is regarded as hmm. This is why rigidity is regarded as stability by those who are off the mark. A rigid orientation can be extremely reliable, even if it is upside down. In fact, the more consistently upside down it is, the more reliable it is. Did I read four? Uh, read, read one more. <clears throat> Number eight. One of the more horrible examples of inverted or upside-down thinking, and history is full of horrible examples of this, was the Nazis, the Nazis' final solution. I shed many tears over this, but it is by no means the only time I said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Uh, 1.10, Luke. These, of course, are the words that Jesus, a Jew, reportedly offered during his execution at the hands of a tyrannical state. Okay, great. Thank you, Charles. And uh, Griff, Dan, uh, if you could finish it up, and re I just unmuted you, if you could read a 9 through the end, through 12, and then just read the, uh, the footnotes, either as they come up or maybe at the end of the paragraph. You can, that can be your call. 40. 43.9 then. All actions which stem from reverse thinking are literally the behavioral expressions of those who know not what they do. Actually, Jean Dixon was right in her emphasis on, quote, feet on the ground and fingertips in heaven, unquote. 
and that's 111. Jean Dixon was one of the best known astrologers of the 20th century. The line that Jesus quotes here is apparently one that Dixon liked to repeat. As she said, three years later, in the June 23, 1968 issue of the News Journal of Man from Mansfield, Ohio, page, one, page 11, God wants our lives to be balanced, and mine is, she said. I have my feet on the ground and my fingertips in, heaven, in the heavens. Although she was too literal for some, many people who, act, who knew exactly what she meant, so her statement was the right miracle for them. I submit that if a mind is in valid relationship with God, it cannot be upside down. Many have lost sight of the end and are concentrating on the means. Remember the story about the artist who kept devoting himself to inventing better and better ways of sharpening pencils. He never created anything, but he had the sharpest pencils in town. The sexual language here is intentional. Sex is often utilized on behalf of very similar errors, hostility, triumph, vengeance, self-debasement, and all sorts of expressions of lack of love are often very clearly seen in the, accompanying, in the accompanying fantasies. But it is a profound error to imagine that because these fantasies are so frequent or occur so reliably, this implies validity. You can be wholly reliable and entirely wrong. Intellect may be a displacement upward, but sex can be a displacement outward. And that goes to 112. Displacement is a Freudian defense mechanism whereby the mind unconsciously redirects energy from an object seen as dangerous or unacceptable to a substitute object. In this case, a sense of real chosen, excuse me, a sense of real closeness with others is being displaced from the mind where it belongs to bodies, especially certain parts. <clears throat> How can you come close to others through the parts of which of you which are really invisible? The word invisible means cannot be seen or perceived. What cannot be perceived is hardly the right means for improving perception. And that's 113. The body is in truth invisible because it is not real. As the Course will say later, everything you made which includes the body, has never been and is invisible because the Holy Spirit does not see it. The confusion of miracle impulses with sexual impulses is a major source of perceptual distortion because it induces rather than straightens out the basic level confusion which underlies all those who seek happiness with the instruments of the world. 114, confusing the impulse to join minds, miracle impulse with the impulse to join bodies, sexual impulse, reinforces the more basic confusion of the level of mind, spirit, which level of the mind, spirit, with the level of the body. In this confusion, we see happiness, which is of the mind, as coming from the instruments of the physical world. This is like thinking that Water can be found in a barren desert. A desert is a desert is a desert. 115. This seems to be a takeoff of a famous quotation from Gertrude Stein, 
A rose is a rose is a rose from a poem, Sacred Emily. You can, you can do anything you want in it, but you cannot change it from what it is. It still lacks water, which is why it is a desert. The thing to do with a desert is to leave. And that's 116, see Cameo. And I don't know what we're doing with that. Okay. Where was I? Okay, good. I, I've unmuted everybody. Let's see if we can hold this. Sometimes it works for a while until the static builds up. Okay, great. Thank you. Um, the cameos were, were kind of spacing out because there's so many more in the early chapters than there is in the later chapters, but we'll probably read another cameo when we finish chapter one. Okay, so there was a lot in that. Who would like to share something about anything? So I like this image of being in the desert. If you're without God and your awareness that God's your creator at any given moment, you are kind of in a desert. And uh, that you may want to leave that desert and find your creator. Okay, Tony here. Um, you know, when I read the Urtext, or you know, I read chapter one of the, I haven't really read the Urtext, so um, Deb, you have an advantage track because I think you're way more versed in the Urtext than me. But I think the, 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 the material about sex was kind of grouped together. And I read all together like that, it had much more of a, I don't know, it just had a harsher tone to it. Uh, but, but here, it seems like it's, it's interspersed more throughout the, all the material in the first chapter. And it doesn't seem as harsh. Um, and it's, it's much more acceptable to me. Or, uh, you know, I had trouble with it when I read it in the ear text. And I'm, at least as, as, as of yet, I've not had any trouble with any of the, any of the things that Jesus here is saying to Helen about sex. Um, in fact, it seems really logical and um, very course consistent. Um, the copy of the Urtext that I read um, doesn't have it all grouped. It is it is found throughout the discourse. So, I don't. Uh, okay, I guess that's uh, uh, you know maybe I'm mistaken, but I I kind of remember in the big. You, you are reading a slightly different version of the Urtex because you're reading the version that doesn't have... I'm not uh, reading Doug Thompson's, yeah. I'm you're not reading, reading Doug Thompson's. Okay, you're reading somebody else's. Oh, there's so many versions. I no, can't... I'm, I'm just I have reading, one more, so. I'm just reading the, the straight one, the first copy of the notes that Bill typed. These are the one. These are the, this is the first thing he typed from her notes. And she dictated to him, and that's all it is. It's just, it's got... I don't know if you can see it, but it's it's just um, it's typed and okay. FYI, I I know what you're probably reading. Yeah, there's only one version of the urtext that we have uh, because it's the version that came from the copyright office 
Mm -hmm. uh, there's only one. And so you probably got an exact duplicate of the version that was uh, taken from the Copyright Office. Yeah, that's the one. Okay, yeah. Th this well, is probably not the originally what Bill Thetford typed. Scholars now believe it's probably the second <laughs> typing. Uh, but, but it's the only thing we got, you know. So uh, Bill Thetford typed and then Helen probably retyped it a couple of times. What you're probably looking at is the second retyping. I am in conversation with Gloria Wapnick and Judy Scott because we're trying to get all the versions of the Urtex that they have uh, scanned and placed in some sort of publicly available archive. But that negotiation has broken down really? <laughs> lately, but it's not dead. It's not dead in the water. We're just all giving it a little time to, to, to relax. Um, I'll keep you posted. But um, uh, Gloria Wapnick did tell me, now again, you know, Gloria is a little challenging to communicate with at times, but I communicate with her well, um, that she does have all the versions of the type your her text, but the only version that's publicly available is that one that you got. Okay. Gloria's got them. Somewhere. So the Hugh and Casey, I've read, the, I've read the Doug Thompson and what you're reading from Deb is very closely related to the Hugh and Casey version as well. Um, I don't, I think it, the Hugh and Casey version is the one that became the original, right? Right. And I've compared this one with the original and there's much more in this urtext than is in the original. Yeah, none, yeah, none of the stuff on sex got into the Hugh and Casey version. Right. Uh, either Helen or Bill, whomever, or somebody added, added, left all that out. So there is nothing about sex really in the Hugh and Casey version, but it is in the air text. Well, you know what else is interesting as we go through this book, the Circle of Atonement book, they also edited out sex discussions that are in the air text, but they're edited out in this book that we're reading. Okay. Okay. Anything else about Miracle Principle number 43? Well, there was a lot about shallow roots being uprooted. I mean, I didn't realize how much that, that metaphor was actually in the course, but it seems to be in it a lot. Um, and, you know, we got a reference to Nazis here that's kind of unusual and interesting. I don't remember that. Uh, he's kind of speaking pretty positively of Gene Dixon. That's, that's sort of interesting. People generally don't speak positively about her. <laughs> but Jesus did. Seemed to like her. I want to hear from Griff. You're settled in now. We like your voice. I like your energy. Say something to me. <laughs> Thank you. 
didn't hit any arteries or nerves. It's going to be okay. Got an APGAR 8. What's that? No, no APGARs. <laughs> Don't even mention that because then I'll have to go in and do an epidural. Oh, no. These must be medical terms. The two medical people are discussing. I'm sorry. Yes, I um, I had something to say back about um, we you know we've had a, a some of a dialogue about um, the golden rule back when we were talking about the golden rule. So, um, and I think that we had a conversation about it, Christine, and I mentioned a, a, a great quote. You know when when we argue and we pick up our offense or we become defensive or um, we mount war or we mount defenses, we're calling attention to war, even if we're calling attention to war from the peace side. And uh, it seems to happen on Facebook to me a lot. When I pick up, when I, when I try to correct my brother or sister, it never works out for me. Um, it never works out for me. I'm always corrected right back. It's like giving the finger, I get them all, all the other ones back, you know? Um, so I quoted a Jerry Garcia quote because I love the Grateful Dead. And, you know, he was asked, and, and he's from San Francisco, so this is right up our alley. Um, yeah, Jerry and the Grateful Dead never sang protest songs or protest songs. And Jerry said he never did it because he didn't want to call attention to war, you know, and, and that's one of my greatest lessons is every time I become a bodhisattva or I become an activist or I mount up a defense against one particular addition over another or anything, um, I'm calling attention to it. And I could be choosing something else. And uh, I think he calls, he, he talks about that with the golden rule here. And uh, I can't remember it now uh, what passage. The way to perceive the golden rule behavior is to look out from a perception of your own holiness and perceive the holiness of others. I mean, geez, that's the course right there. Mm -hmm. So, sorry, it's a little farther back, but. Great. Boom. Thank you. Thank you. And the course tells us over and over, never correct your brother, right? Doesn't it say that, you know, very specifically? We always, you know, we always, often we say, well, I'll just this time I will and give ourselves that out. And it doesn't work out for anybody, I don't think. But I would say that that, that is verified by the fact that Jesus is teaching us to correct ourselves, to correct our own lack of love, correct our fear of God, right. and that that is the peace, which in an interesting way, Griffin, I think that, that, that totally agree with what you said, and that's actually the way I see, see this. What I experience, not so much what I see so much, what I experience on Facebook is that people actually don't use that in that way, that they love to people with using the words and the, and the quotes in the course to mean they're supposed to correct other people and that's a lot I think if people would step back and read it again 
you know, read that Jesus is teaching us to correct ourselves. That's what the perception of looking out from the perception of your own holiness, that you've corrected in yourself. You're, you have a correct perception of holiness as you are, then you behave toward your brother with the, with the accurate perception of both, that you're both holy. But a lot yeah. of conversations on Facebook, particularly about, about the course, are just like this. They're not really reading the course. They're intellectualizing it, like Tony talks about, the, you know, scholars know this, and the course people know this. The actual content of correcting yourself to, to be, have your own correct perception of your holiness, that rare, almost never do I ever see that come across in conversations on Facebook. And that leads to a lot of ugliness. Tony, can you mute us? Yeah, I'm working on it. <laughs> Okay, there we go. We're all muted. Okay, sometimes it takes me a little while to figure out, you know, there's still things I'm just not as familiar with it. There's things I got to click. And, uh, let, let me give a shout out uh, for Facebook uh, and the discussions that go on in Facebook. Okay, so I am an administrator in a very large, one of the largest, maybe not the largest, but one of the largest, the Course in Miracles Facebook group. Uh, Christine is in that group. And uh, while the discussion can get quite contentious and challenging at times, I still think there's just such a tremendous amount of healing and love that is going on there. And uh, yeah, you know, we're, we're like rubbing elbows and it's like a, it's like a stone polishing machine and but the fact that people get riled and come back and uh, keep keep communicating and people get upset and they can express their upset and then they come back, um, it's still pretty. I mean, it's I find it pretty miraculous. And uh, it, it's sort of like it, it to me. It's like, do you judge the glass as half empty or half full? I mean, I, I tend to see the half full part of it all, which is people really just want people wanting to engage and people wanting to talk and people wanting to express their views and they get riled and, and they, and, and they kind of, they feel like they have permission to express their rileness. Um, and, you know, and actually to respond to Rosalind, what you said, I mean, the other end of that is we should be able to have an ego moment and just let it be an ego moment and, and, and know that, um, we're not going to be judged by the ego moment. So there, that's the other end of it. And, you know, and yes, of course, we should be civil and merciful. But we're humans. And then and, and, and people still have moments. Anyway, so I see that on Facebook a lot. So people, you know, there, it's, it's a mixed bag. And, and I keep, like, uh, in, in my group, uh, and people really, like, expect that I have way more authority in the group than I do, which I don't because I'm not the creator of the group. So I have to like just really uh, align myself with the creator and not have an authority problem with her because she could, in just a little click, <laughs> delete my whole authority there. <laughs> my whole authority is at the whim of a person I hardly know who could just, <laughs> uh, so I have no real authority, but I can 
you know, do what I do, and I do. But uh, I, I'm, I'm just really pretty much in awe and in love with everybody who chooses to participate and just share themselves. And, uh, and I don't want to badmouth it. I, I, I just, I think, it's, I think it's terrific. People are sharing and talking and getting riled and getting upset and, and leaving and then coming back and, uh, because they love each other. They just, all I see is everybody's love for each other. You can, you can all unmute, you should, is there anybody that doesn't know at this point how to unmute themselves? You all know how to unmute yourselves, aren't you? <laughs> no, Christine doesn't. Here, I'll unmute you. You're unmuted, Christine. You're a member of that group, and you're, you're a great member of that group, I want you to know, and I, I just, you, you share a lot, and it's you know it's, it's awesome. Uh, do you want to tell, say me, tell me how to unmute myself so I can do it on my own? <laughs> I don't I don't know. There there should be several. There's actually probably several ways to unmute yourself. But um, if I if I can say something, yeah. uh, Usually, disagreements. Uh, uh, come from uh, uh, seeing what we uh, and valuing what we are perceiving so uh, it, it depends uh, somebody can value his own meaning more than others and vice versa so but uh, I, I think that many times uh, is just to in in my case, is just to accept that it is what it is at at the time and go further. Don't judge it. You know what I think Facebook is like a little bit. It's like road rage. It's like it's it's like how people when they're driving, they they just like somebody cuts them off and they just curse and yell and scream and they, they because they feel like they're protected in some way. They're in this little isolated car and somehow they're protected and, and it gives people like, it gives their ego full reign. And Facebook is a little bit like that because we don't, we're not really engaged. We, we, you kind of feel like you're protected. You're not really engaging directly with people. So, I mean, people say vicious things. I mean, even A Course in Miracles, people say totally vicious things a lot of the, you know, frequently. But I just still forgive them. Uh, and, and, and it's amazing if you can just, like, forgive them and not censor them or block them or, you know, you can express that you don't like what they're doing. Uh, and it's amazing how they'll settle down and they'll let go of their ego moment. And then they're just beautiful, holy children of God, like, of course, they always were. And and it's just blessed that they're still there. I mean, I mean, I know, Christine, you had this experience, and I've had this experience, you know, like four or five, six years ago on Facebook, I was blocked, you know, from a number of groups. And, and it was only because I was talking about a different version, or I was talking about the original edition or the earth text. And at that time, you couldn't do that. And a lot of groups were managed and uh, administrated by people who would not allow that. So the minute you'd mention another version, they'd block you. And, you know, I, I had those experiences, and 
it, it was, you know, felt bad. You know, I got over it. But, you know, it's interesting that none of those groups even exist anymore. And that the only groups that now currently really uh, thrive are those that really are open. And um, it's just really, it's just, I don't know, kind of fascinating to me. So I, I give Facebook a little more credit. And um, there's something really healing and unusual going on there because it's giving so many people a voice. And I would just be, I just like, just be careful or just, you know, just watch our tendency to want to demonize it or, or like judge it negatively. There's something really wonderful going on there. Christine, do you want to know how to unmute yourself? Sure. Take, take your She's not muted. I know, but she wants to know how to do oh, it. So yeah, tell her. So you take your cursor and down to the lower left side, you'll see the opportunity to either mute or unmute yourself if you move your cursor to your lower left screen. Well, I'm using my... Um, are are you on an iPad or a computer? On my iPad. Oh, maybe somebody else could tell you then. Um, it may be, uh, it may be if you uh, click on your square, because um, if you put your cursor on your square, I have a choice to mute myself or unmute myself. Is that working or not? Yeah, I think that there's a thing here now, so switch to active speaker. Mm. That may be it. No, I don't think that's it. It's something else. No. Sorry, um, from a computer, it's two other things. Right. Yeah. Anybody else on a pad that can give uh, Christine any any tips? I don't have to waste time on this. Okay. Okay. Well, we have three minutes left. Let's see. Miracle principle. I think miracle principle number forty-four is really short. Let's read miracles principle number forty-four, and it's me. I think everybody's read, right? One, two, three, four, five, seven, seven, seven. Everybody is read. Okay. Miracles arise from a miraculous state of mind. This state of mind goes out to anyone, even without the awareness of the miracle itself. The impersonal nature of miracles is because the atonement itself is one. By being one, it unites all creations with their creator. Okay, I, I will share. Um, you know, one thing I did notice at this conference that I did, that I was part of in, in uh, well, in Utah, was I thought that the general conversation of the uh, the presenters and the and the participants was higher in some sort of way. I don't know, higher is probably a bad ad, uh, adjective, but. Mm. It wasn't uh, as intellectual. People weren't looking for intellectual understanding of A Course of Miracles. They were, most people were looking really for experience. They wanted to experience connection. They wanted to experience oneness. They connected with the speakers that helped them really experience. And uh, 
and I've been a part of a lot of conferences, but it was more pronounced at this one than I've seen before. And I felt that that really kind of demonstrated the progression and the evolution and the, uh, the advancement of the miracles community in general. I mean, there weren't a lot of people here. There was like a, 120 maybe max. That's a lot, but still, that's a lot of people, 120 people that were able to pay a certain amount of money. They were able to get to Utah. Uh, so there was that. And, uh, but I thought it was unique, and I, I certainly wanted to note it, that people were, they were wanting a, a, a real experience of oneness and connection. They, they wanted to talk about the course, but they wanted to experience it as well. And they weren't just, yeah, they weren't as comfortable with just like, you know, an intellectual understanding. And I thought that that was unique to see and, 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 uh, and great to be in the energy of. So as much as I maybe didn't like there was nobody to have a drink with me, <laughs> After the, after, the, after the conference was over for the night, I did really appreciate that, um, you know, the level of the conversation seemed higher than I had seen. How did that manifest itself? In what way were people trying to connect in that different way? Um, they connected more with... Um, speakers who spoke to that, uh, the speakers who spoke, you know, I want to bad mouth particular speakers, so I won't, but the speakers who did not speak to that, who spoke to it more, they like talking intellectually about the course, I felt weren't as well received or, you know, everybody loves everybody who's there. So it's not like people are shunned, but the people who seem to really have more of a connection and more of a and more of a response were those who got people in, in whatever way in their presentation to got people to have some sort of energetic experience. And uh, th those were the people that uh, got a better better response. Um, and, and that's, that's what I kept hearing with the shares uh, and, and with the people who came up to me privately or, or it, you know, individually. Um, they really liked my energy. They didn't, they, it wasn't like they really liked my, what I had to say per se. They connected with the energetic experience that I was helping people to have. And I saw that with other people as well. They just, they, they, they wanted to, they wanted to feel something. They didn't want to just hear about the course. They wanted to feel something. Well, that's the whole point of it. God is God is an experience in you. <laughs> I want to have. They want to have the feeling. <laughs> and you know, they they spent money. You know, people. You know, you to, if you can, you travel into another part of the country, not easy to get there. You got to fly into Salt Lake City. This is an hour away. Maybe you got to run a car. Maybe you got to pay for a shuttle. You got you know, to you put some money down to, to be there. And they wanted it to be meaningful. And, and, and I think actually, I'll give Jimmy credit, he created a meaningful experience for people. And there were a lot of people at the Sunday gathering during the communion 
they broke bread, they passed it out, and it was just a lot of people crying, weeping, you know, having a, a real emotional catharsis of an experience. So as much as I didn't, like, connect with a lot of the individual things that he did, he created a cathartic experience in people's minds, and, you know, I'll give him, I'll give him credit for that. Okay. Okay, it's, it, we're, we're past our time. So let's uh, bring our attention and our awareness within. Okay, who's not here? Let's remember Reverend Kim and uh, Jeremy and Dawn. Uh, they're with us. God bless them. Doesn't matter that they're really not here. They're, they're joined with us. They had whatever reasons they had. Uh, Holy Spirit, thank you so much for giving us this opportunity to be together here this evening and, and and help us. And I know you are helping us to just be accepting of whatever shows up in the space. Everything that shows up in the space is for our healing and for our connection. And, you know, here we are, reading this new edition of A Course in Miracles. Um, and, yeah, of course we got a lot of opinions and judgments about it. Of course we would. Why wouldn't we? But here we are. We're reading it. We're surrendering it. We're connecting with each other. We're loving each other. Help us just for a moment. Just feel for the best of our ability to feel it. But the absolute love, acceptance that we have for each other, because we do. And just bless that experience, because that's the experience that we all want. We all want to know how one and connected and in love, in love, we are with one another. And let us take that experience of feeling in love with one another and extend it to all our brothers and sisters everywhere. Amen. Amen. Bye. You. See you next week. <laughs> love you all. Bye. Bye. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.